0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hope Through Grief. I'm one of your co-hosts, Steve Smelsky, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Marshall Adler.
1: Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well today.
0: So for today's episode, we actually have a very special guest that's joined us today. It's Mr. Howard Dayton. Mr. Dayton was the co-founder and chairman of Crown Financial Ministries from 2000 to 2007, and at the time, they were the largest financial ministry in the world. During Mr. Dayton's time as CEO of the ministry, they taught more than 50 million people in 88 countries God's way of handling money and operating a business. In 2009, Mr. Dayton founded a new ministry called Compass Finances God's Way, serving as CEO and full-time volunteer. Mr. Dayton recently stepped down as CEO, and he's now serving as chairman of the board. He's hosted three different radio shows. He's the author of eight books and six small group studies, one Bible, three audiobooks, and two DVD series. I had the opportunity of meeting Mr. Dayton about six years ago, right after Jordan passed, and um, he was very helpful to me. Welcome, Howard.
2: Thank you very much, Steve. Great to be with you and Marshall.
0: So I thought maybe we would just start out a little bit and let you start with sharing your history. You, you have had a journey of grief, but maybe you could give us a little background and then we could get into that portion.
2: Sure thing. Um, graduated from the hotel school at Cornell, spent two and a half years as a naval officer, one year in Vietnam, then returned to my home state of Florida. Uh, started my business career in Orlando. Uh, in 1971, two major things happened. I married. And the second thing was that through a small group of guys, uh, I was introduced to Christ uh, as personal Savior. Uh, one of those men became my business partner, a fellow named Jim Senef. Jim challenged me to study, of, of all things, the Bible uh, to find out what it said about money. Uh, we discovered there were 2350 verses dealing with uh, money completely changed my life felt god was calling me to become involved in teaching others that subject Uh, we uh, have had two major grief experiences in my life first was a little boy named andrew Uh, we were in the process of adopting him all three of our children Or adopted his newborns, um, had him for a few months, took him to a neurologist because we figured something was wrong with him. And bottom line, his mom had been on narcotics and he had only a fraction of his brain, just his brain stem, uh, lived till he was 11. That was an emotionally challenging time for us as a family. Fortunately, the Lord brought uh, the birth moms, mom and dad. In our path. Didn't know him before then. They only lived three miles from us. They loved him. So they actually raised him. We were babysitters, which was a good thing because it had been so challenging. He was becoming hydrocephalic. We didn't realize that had all kind of uh, operations. And um, my wife got a phone call for her one time and she didn't know she was in. Uh, So we knew that uh, just emotionally and physically, Bev was at the end of a rope, and and really we needed relief. And God brought that uh, in the form of of this wonderful couple. About, uh, let's see, probably eight years ago, yeah, eight years ago, we discovered that she had uh, breast cancer, double mastectomy. We learned a year later that it had metastasized to her bones, which is a... You know, very uh, painful type of uh, cancer. Uh, I was her caregiver and I would describe this. And in our 26 years of marriage, it was the most difficult time, obviously. But in many ways, it was the sweetest time uh, in our marriage. And I had read a book called Trusting God. And I come from a faith perspective and it really dealt with crises. You know, what's, What's God doing in the middle of a, of a crisis? And this was before we realized it had spread to her bones. And I came away f- from reading that book, realizing that God loves us like crazy, that um, he's sovereign. He's in control of everything large and small on the planet. And that because of his deep love for us, there will be times where we go through challenging times. And uh, in the Old Testament, there's a book of Job. And poor old Job got whacked, uh, beat up to beat the band, and uh, was asking God why, and God never answered him. But he did reveal more of who he was, who God was. So the the bottom line on the book was that when we are going through a difficult time as hard as it is it's for our ultimate benefit and for God's glory so i never asked the question why during that uh, that time and after she went home as you well know steve because we lived in the same neighborhood you know i'd walk every morning play christian music you know cry my heart out and did that for about a year and then uh, through a mutual friend, the Lord brought Lynn into my life. She's an amazing person. I hadn't seen her in 30 years. We went to I mentor one guy, one one young man a year. Asked her if if uh, she wanted me to mentor her. She said yes uh, because I really I didn't want to. I mean I remember her as a beautiful woman, but I didn't want. I wanted to make sure that I could finish well and listen to her heart, find out who she was, and then finally uh, met her eight weeks later. And you and I talked about this a little bit earlier, Steve. I can remember because here I had this history of of listening to music and crying my heart out every day on my walk. And uh, there was a time after uh, we had spent uh, two times together. Where, you know, I cried my heart out uh, as usual on my walk, but it was different. And this time I felt the Lord was saying to my heart, Your days of mourning are over. I've got joy for you in the future. And uh, bottom line, we were married, you know, 11 months ago, and it's been just joyful every single day since that time. And I do think it is perfectly. Acceptable and legitimate from God's perspective for us to grieve uh, and mourn, but there's a there's a, a time for that, and then there's a time to resume life, if you will. And I'm very thankful for the mourning experience, and I'm very very thankful for the joy uh, experience that that we're that we have now. And I would say this too when. You know, for those of your audience who are caregivers, one of the most helpful things for me was to have purpose, and my purpose was I, I was writing um, a small group study called Charting Your Legacy, and in that study, one of the things that really captured me was how important it is to finish our lives well, and it's um A fellow did a study, there are 2,930 individuals mentioned in in the Bible. Of those, we only know enough of a hundred to know if they finished well or not. Of those hundred, only one-third finished well. Most didn't finish well in the latter part of their lives. And there's a um, decision-making theory, if you will, that I think is right on the nose, and that is begin whatever you're working on with the end in mind. And for me, I realize that the end in mind for me is when I do pass away and I finally am face to face with the Lord himself, am I going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Uh, or am I going to hear something else, which will be you know, a lot more painful? And so for me, I would say this, Steve, my, my life is characterized by uh, a desire to finish well. And um, I'm blessed beyond description to have Lynn Dayton in my life and as my dear wife and, and partner in life. Uh, and that's one of the focuses of our life and encouraging one another uh, to do those things would allow us to finish well all all from God's point of view so that's that's the story
1: Howard that's interesting let me ask you a question Um, our listeners know this but I want to just give you some information we mentioned before the show started that my son Matt who was 32 years old passed away on July 22nd 2018 yes And when we were at the funeral home, picking out his headstone, I got the call that my mother passed away. Wow. So my mother and my son passed away within 24 hours. Wow. And we had to go to the gravesite. We just bought the plot for Matt, which was next to my father. My father passed away in 2012. He lived in 91. He had Alzheimer's, which was a different grief journey. But my mother and my son passing away within 24 hours from a grief standpoint was so different because my mother was 93. My son was 32. My mother was in hospice, completely expected she was going to pass away. In fact, Matt was home from San Diego and we had a wonderful time with him saying goodbye to my mother We didn't know we were saying goodbye to him because it was the last time we ever saw him. He flew back to San Diego. We had to work. And then we were waiting for him to come back for the funeral of my mother. And he never made it. He died two days before she did. Wow. So the grief journey that I've been on, I'm interested in because I will tell you the loss of a child, which you've also experienced, is like, for me, was just completely different than the loss of a mother and i will tell you it's been over two years and my mother was the greatest mother in the world like i'll just tell you like i'm jewish so my mother was not only a jewish mother she was a nurse at bellevue hospital in new york city which is one of the great hospitals in the world so i tell everybody well before the pandemic I was told every day of my life to wash my hands because my, my mother, my entire life I've been told to wash my hands well before the pandemic. So that my mother was not just a Jewish mother; She was a nurse. So she was always like that. And she was very close with Matt. But then what also happened is my best friend of 50 years from Buffalo, New York. So I know you went to Cornell, very close to Cornell also who was very close with my son, Matt and very close with my parents. I knew I was 12 years old he passed away. So I had my son, my mother, and my best friend of 50 years all pass away. And what we did is, in the Jewish religion, on the one-year anniversary of somebody's passing, you do what's called a side candle. It's a memorial candle that you light, and it goes for 24 hours. In the Jewish religion, the day starts at sundown yes. the day before. We went to Israel, and we were at— the beach on the mediterranean sea in tel aviv lighting this yardside candle for matt which was beautiful but was also we couldn't believe it that we were lighting this for our son and a day or two before we were in jerusalem at the Wailing wall the western wall and i put prayer notes for my father my mother my son, Matt, and my friend Ted from Buffalo. And I put them all together because the four of them loved each other. And putting that into the Wailing Wall, it just sort of gave me some contentment in the sense that I knew that people before me for thousands of years had come here to grieve people that they loved. And my father lived 91 years. My mother lived 93 years. My friend Ted lived 62 years. My son Matt lived 32 years. So we have a great, you know, a gradation there. But looking at this wall, going back thousands of years, you realize it's all a short time, no matter how long any of us live. That's right. Comparatively, it looks long, my father and my mother. But in the millenniums that people go to the Western Wall, it's a short time. So my question to you is, how has your journey been different with the loss of a child and the loss of a wife because for for me i i've had three different losses within a short period of time a son a mother and a best friend and they've all been different but i just know my grief journey would have been so different for each one of them if they didn't come in such short duration right next to each other and it's been it's been difficult for me to Grieve properly for each one of those people that I loved.
2: Yeah, I think with uh, Andrew, uh, the little boy who um, really just had the fraction of his brain, uh, of course we grieved for him when he passed away. But it was different in that you know he he couldn't communicate with us, and Mm -hmm. you know we we could love him, touch him. I mean, uh, do everything we could to. Uh, make his life as as um, comfortable as possible, but it was different, you know. Obviously, with your wife, you have a deep relationship. You communicate with each other. You've, you know, forty six years. You've gone through wars and rumors of wars together, so to speak, and uh, so that was, you know, much much different uh, in that respect. I think it's when when it's your mate. Going back to Adam and Eve, the two become one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's a special relationship that can't be replaced by any other relationship. Mm-hmm. And for me, I you know, given my faith, I'm completely convinced that I'm going to see her again, face to face. And because she had a close relationship, you know, with the Lord as as well as as my relationship with the Lord, and the uh, same true with my my second wife. She has a very intimate relationship with the Lord. And the faith element, I think, was, I I know, was huge, at least for me, in dealing with those losses. Uh, My mama was 95 when she went home. My dad was 81 uh, with a heart attack. And I admire and and still miss them, for sure. But I I like the idea of the wailing wall and the history, Marshall. Because there's no substitute for proper perspective. And realizing that life is short, eternity is long, and what we do during this short lifetime of ours can matter forever through the people that uh, we, we we touch.
1: It's interesting because I was surprised that I did get a sense of contentment putting those prayer notes into the wailing wall because I just realized that 2,000 years in the future, somebody could have lost a son and put the prayer note for them the same place I'm putting the prayer note for, for Matt. And I will be long gone and forgotten, but it's all part of the continuum of the human experience. And what I looked at was my mother, my father, my son, Matt, and my friend, Ted, were all four of the funniest people you'd ever want to meet. They all had wonderful sense of humor, and they did nothing but live lives of purpose, kindness, and humor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I really felt that they would all say, you realize that everybody comes as wailing wall, they're wailing because they're grieving and we're all going to be here sometime or the other along the human journey. So make the most of the time you're actually on this planet, whatever that time is. That's right. And that gave me a sense of peace.
2: Yeah. I, I, I don't think we can um, uh, overestimate how important it is to have perspective Making our life count, having a clear purpose. I've struggled with what is my purpose from time to time in my life, not, not the last 45 years, but from time to time as a younger person. And I would just encourage folks, you know, to spend time and pray and ask for uh, clarity on what your purpose is. It may be clear if you're, if you're a mom with, children and you're in the middle of raising them you, you've got pretty clear purpose but what is it in the long haul that the lord's calling you to do
1: you mentioned the the why question i know steve and i have talked about that many times both on air and off air and i'll just tell you a quick story then i'll turn it over to steve for a second So i don't want to dominate your time here but my my mother I've told the story before, my mother, after she lost her second child, she asked my father's father the why question, and what happened is all of my grandparents were immigrants, and my uh, father's father he came from what was then the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, so you never knew exactly where it was because the borders kept on changing, but he told my mother something that I never really understood until after Matt passed. And what he said is that losing two children was a tragedy, but it was your tragedy. It would be no more or less a tragedy if the next door neighbor had lost two children. It wouldn't be your tragedy, but it would be a tragedy. And what my grandfather told my mother was that what makes you think that you are going to be so special that you're going to be exempt from grief in this journey of life because you're not nobody is and my mother grieved the loss of those two children the day she died because I'm literally on her deathbed she was telling me about them but it actually helped her hearing my grandfather say those words because I think it's sort of similar to what you're saying she knew she had to get into the game of life be the best person she could be and then my parents always told me you know life is for the living do the best you can do here on this planet for as long as you can which it sounds exactly the way you've led you've lived your life is what you've done and my parents in their own way I think took my grandfather's statements that at first seemed sort of um, harsh to tell somebody that but my mother, said it was the best thing for her to hear because it sort of got her back into realizing I've got to live my life as a tribute to my lost loved ones. And Steve and I have talked about that all the time. That's why I'm doing this show to try to continue the good work that my son Matt couldn't do anymore because he's not here. And I feel like it's my obligation to live the rest of my life for as long as I'm on this planet as a tribute to him. And it sounds like you've done that absolutely with your life. And I think that's a real important lesson For all of us, because as we all know, either you're going to live and the people that you love are going to pass and you're going to grieve them or else you're going to pass. And people you love are going to grieve you. So grief is just part of the human experience.
2: Well said.
0: Howard, I wanted to let everybody know how much you helped me after Jordan passed. I used to tell people that i had this friend that we talked but we always talked before breakfast and they're like what it's like howard would walk around the lake here in our development and i would run and when we met each other we'd walk together and talk for quite a while and you really helped me at the beginning and i can't thank you enough for that i also got to walk with you as you were going through your journey Do you think anybody ever said anything to you that really helped you with that journey? Or is there anything you can say or heard that that really helped?
2: My best friend is uh, an attorney marshal. His name is Tim Maynard. And um, I'll never forget Tim and I when I really learned what uh, the challenges that uh, we were facing with Andrew he and I walked down Park Avenue <laughs> in Winter Park one evening, and uh, we still talk about that time. And I think having a uh, close friend that cares about you, that you know, you know, you, you just know he, he or she loves you, is really helpful. Uh, they don't have to say some something brilliant, you know, that solves the problem, but just for them to be there during that time. And, um, you know, my friend Tim and I have talked or communicated almost every day for the past probably 40 years. And, um, uh, you know, that's a priceless friendship that uh, we've both gone through good times and challenging times, heartache, and it just helps a lot to have that kind of a friend uh, in your life. And, and I'd uh, I'd do anything I could to nurture uh, that or encourage everybody to nurture uh, that kind of uh, a friendship. And of course your spouse is absolutely key. I mean, you've, You've lived through that, Steve. I'm sure Marshall has, too, having a, you know, a spouse that you know, you're going through it together. Uh, you can support and encourage one another, uh, even in the midst of the grief journey. You know, I, I don't believe we're, we've been made to be alone. And to have those uh, people in your life that care for you, that you care for, uh, is really a gift. It's just uh it's just a gift.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I, I was thinking about some of our discussions and the part I remember was you were actually interested in what was going on with me. It wasn't so much what you said, just that you took the time. And for that I was appreciative and it helped a lot. Well, it, it was a
2: dear time for me to be with you for sure. Miss it.
0: So do I. You had mentioned you started grieving ahead of time with Bev. And that was actually a fairly long journey compared to what Marshall and I have experienced. Could you tell us a little bit about from beginning? Because at at one point, it's like it's hard to actually hear what the diagnosis is, right? But then you you have no idea what the journey is.
2: No, it's – and, and you have ups and downs, times of encouragement, times of discouragement along the journey. Uh, we were blessed to have a great oncologist who was both um, uh, tender uh, and very direct. Um, so there was no – I mean, he took as, as much of the mystery out of – Out of where we were headed, as possible, but we really appreciated that because you know we clearly sensed that uh, Doctor Zing about cared for us. So that really was um, a gift. You have times of hope, then you have times where those hopes are dashed. Uh, So it's not—it's certainly not a linear experience. Uh, But you know, I, I knew from this research I'd done that. You know, life expectancy was probably five years for bone cancer, and that uh, really there wasn't a "quote unquote" cure. And our oncologist was so kind in that he was uh, very aware—of course, he was more than aware—that we were aware of that. But he he focused on pain management, which we were very, very grateful for. And um, as I said, for us as a couple, it was. By far the sweetest time, because you you're you're pretty undistracted uh, when you're uh, going through the middle of that, and um, you just get to know each other at an entirely d- different level, uh, in depth, uh, as you did before.
0: So it's kind of the journey together, even though yeah. the journey
2: together, and it's a um. I'm in retrospect. I'm thankful for the journey because I'm definitely. I, I tell my wife, my new wife, Lynn, she's getting the improved model. You know, <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely getting a better, better husband than, uh, you know, I, I was 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, and we've laughed about that. You know, it's, and and it's it's interesting. It's just not, uh, you know, a health. Challenge or death where you grieve, but there are a lot of things we grieve over, whether it's the death of a marriage through divorce or I mean, there are a lot of things that are out there. And um, one thing I would say it's um, uh, for a lot of people, uh, some gifted counselor uh, is really a huge asset. Uh, Lynn has a very gifted counselor who is um, just dynamite. And uh, that can be very helpful in the grieving process.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. So as we, we were talking, and I think I'm most interested in your your topic of finishing well and what that means to you. There's actually multiple thoughts behind that, right? It's just not... Because it it covers a lot of different things. But as an individual going through grief, can our focus on that certainly help us through the grief journey as well as define what we do and what we become after? Because Marshall and I have agreed, we're, what you were talking, you got the better version of Howard. We're not the same either. So,
2: yeah, I I really believe that a grieving. Uh, as, as Marshall said so eloquently as part of the human experience and uh, difficult times, challenging times, grieving times really are more than allowed by the Lord to shape us into the people that he wants us to be, to shape us into people who can relate to others, you know, in a much deeper level. Because we've been there and done that. And um, as painful as the hard times are, if we put on a hat, let's you know, put on the servant hat. You know, how can I serve the people around me? I'm much better at doing that than I ever was before. Uh, I have a you know, much closer relationship with the Lord uh, because of those experiences. And I really wouldn't trade that for anything.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I was surprised to find out as we started through our journey of grief and we found Grief Share, we did counseling. I was actually very surprised at how much it helps to help others. It helps you as much as what they receive. Yet you've you've spent the last 40 or 50 years doing that, right?
2: Well, that's why I got a smile on my face. <laughs> you know, it, it's... Uh it's been a joy. I've loved doing it. You know, God put us in a financial position where haven't had to have a salary or any book royalties or anything like that since 85. It's just been priceless joy to be called to, to do this. And I'm not saying everybody should be in a financial position where they're, they're free to, to do it, but for us, it's ju- it's just been a, a blessing.
0: Do you remember any of the people that you've met during that journey that stand out to you?
2: A lot of them, yes. I mean, it's you know during the coronavirus thing. One of the things I've I've encouraged people to do. I, I did have God visited me in 1977. I know it's a little spooky to say that, but um, I found myself prostrate on the kitchen floor, crying my heart out of thanksgiving for Christ dying for me on the cross, and he showed me that uh, during my lifetime, we would have a very, very difficult financial situation in our country. Didn't show me when, didn't show me how it would manifest itself, but that motivated me every single day since that time to uh, try to teach as many people as possible the, the biblical Point of view of uh, our resources, uh, our, our stuff, and um, in in the hopes that they would apply the principles of generosity, of getting completely out of debt, of being consistent on the saving side, to their lives, so that when that occurred, they and their family would be financially stable, and hopefully they'd have enough to help those who weren't in a financially stable uh, place. And so I've had a lot of calls over the last few months saying, is this it? Is <laughs> this know? it? That
0: was, <laughs> that's I, what was going through you know, my life. Right, is this right, it? That's
2: right. And, I, and I, all I can say is um, the Lord hasn't visited <laughs> me like he did the first time to affirm uh, that this is it. But it is interesting to see that it happens so quickly and globally and um, has definitely hurt a lot of people uh, financially, no question about it. So, you know, I'm just continuing to encourage as many people as I can to apply these principles to your financial
0: life.
1: Howard, it's interesting because my, my father – was born 1921. So he was a child of the depression. He was bar mitzvahed in 1934, which if you know history was a year after Hitler came to power in Germany. And he always told me to live your life like each day is going to be your last because one day you will be right. It will be. You don't know when. And he lived in 91. And he made the most of his life because he sort of sensed that way. Like he, at the end of his life, he had Alzheimer's where he didn't remember what he had for breakfast, but he remembered everything about World War Two so clearly, because obviously the short-term memory that he lost, and he, he was a first lieutenant in the Army Air Corps before the Air Force became into existence. So he was a first lieutenant in the Army, and he was trained as a navigator with a crew, and they were going to go to England to fight the Nazis in Europe. And with the same crew on a B-24, there was 10 guys on the B-24, four officers and six enlisted men, and he knew all of them close with them. And the day before they were going to leave for England, they pulled him and they said, his name was Merwin, M-E-R-W-I-N, the most unusual name you've ever heard in your life. They, They said, Merwin, you're not going to Europe to fight the Nazis. We're going to send you to the Pacific to fight the Japanese, and you're not going to be a navigator. We're going to make you a radar bombardier and send you to Carlsbad, New Mexico for radar bombardier training. And there was something called the Norton bomb site, which is like the first computer that my dad worked on. So he goes, okay. And he was very close with all his mates that he was in basic training with. So they all went to England to fight the Nazis on a transport. The transport crashed in England and they all died. If he wasn't pulled that day before, I wouldn't be here because he'd, he'd, he'd have been dead. And he did 51 missions they're supposed to send you home after 25, and they kept on upping the missions. He did 51 missions, and he never had a scratch on him. And he just reached the point where I look at his life and his philosophy. He was the happiest guy I've ever seen, and it really sort of resonates with me more after losing Matt because he would he would tell me things like, "There's things in life that you can control." And since you can control them, don't worry about it. And there's other things in life that you cannot control. And since you cannot control those, don't worry about it. That was his philosophy. So what you're saying is interesting because it sees like, obviously, the financial decisions you make are your decisions, and you do have some control over those decisions. So don't worry about those. But then there's other things like a worldwide pandemic that you can't control. And it's interesting when you said that, because it just made me think about what my father said. It was a little bit different form, but I see a synergy between what you were saying and what my dad told me.
2: Yeah, I think think we also, Marshall, have to be careful of what we put in our brains. And uh, for me, that means not watching the news very often when it comes to the pandemic, Mm -hmm. because it's so um, negative and um you know who knows what's going to happen i mean it's it's be a rare person who knows how this is going to play out but that shouldn't stop me from still focusing on finishing well and fulfilling the purpose that's in my life you know a lot of people have suffered a lot Mm -hmm. uh, through this pandemic Uh, not only with their health, but with their finances, relationships, I mean, you name it. You know, all we can do is encourage as many people as you can. And just be careful what you listen to, I think, is, is an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, in um, be careful who you listen to uh, when you're in a grief mode. That's really
1: important. I did watch the news yesterday, so I, I had to listen. And they had a round table, They had the governor in town, and I knew this was going to happen, but they mentioned that, again, people, as you know, be listening to this throughout the world. So we're in central Florida, Orlando, and I live in Seminole County just north of Orlando, and they said that this year – Since the pandemic hit in, obviously, early February uh, timeframe, in Seminole County, the suicide rate has increased by a third over what it was last year before the pandemic. And as a suicide survivor, I lost my son to suicide, it's one of those things that I probably not listen to my father because it does worry me because obviously I can't control it, my father said, don't worry about it, but yet I would love to be able to say something to somebody to try to help to get that horrific fact changed. And it's one of those situations where I think you realize what you're saying finishing well is we got to keep on doing the best we can for as long as we're here because we we don't know who's going to listen to this podcast today. And if there's, you know, if there's one person that gets something that helps them with their life going forward, I think the three of us would be very happy that we did a good deed with this podcast. And I just, when when I heard that statistic, it just sort of made me realize, I think what you said is, True about not knowing what's going to happen because I think the long term effects of the pandemic are yet to be determined, not only from a medical standpoint, but also, you know, financial, but also from a mental health standpoint. I think so many people are going to have PTSD. So many of these first responders, medical people that have just seen such horrific carnage and suffering and death. And they don't have time to grieve because they have to respond. And I think there's going to be a tidal wave of grief ahead of us as a society. And I'm interested what what you think about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm in total agreement with you that we don't know the fallout. As I mentioned earlier, we were made to um, have community uh, mm-hmm. with one another. And when you're isolated, that's a real challenge. For us as a newly married couple, it's been great. I mean, we bring, <laughs> other, bring, bring on the sequestering. We, we, we're, we couldn't be happier. But all kidding aside, that's that's a huge challenge for a lot of people. It, it would be a significant challenge for me today had I not uh, been married and was living alone with my dog, you know, I mean, that, that would have, uh, a real, really tough, tough time for me.
1: You know, I also wonder about like my, I mentioned my father being a child of depression going through world war two. He always had a sense that, well, this too shall pass and we can survive this no matter what happened. And, i'm wonder whether our society has that resilience you know the world war 2 generation they were just humble they raised their family they had a resiliency that was amazing to deal with you know my my father again he lost two children but he was the happiest guy in the world he just he just was and he didn't worry like my my friend ted that passed away he loved my parents, and he used to ask my father, uh, how come you don't worry about anything? And he says, oh, my wife Florence does all the worrying for me, which was true. My father never worried. My mother always worried. And so that's there was a synergy between them, but I think now with especially younger people with social media and somebody concerned about how many likes they get on something on a Facebook page to me is almost the antithesis of what my father mentally knew how to go through life because my father would not have cared one iota about how many likes he had on a Facebook page. <laughs> he wouldn't know about it. He wouldn't care. It would be irrelevant to him. And I mean that in a positive way because whatever life brought to him, he was able to handle it. And with society the way it is now, I just wonder if our society is as, a, as, as equipped as the World War II generation was to deal with adversity. And I hate to say it, but I would at this point I've had to make a guess on, I would probably say we're not as equipped.
2: Yeah, I think it's an individual up to the individual and, and what's their experience, what's what's their home life been like, what's, I mean, there's a lot of factors that that will play in to this, but it will clearly be challenging really challenging for a lot of people. I'm just praying that folks will learn from this experience and just become more uh, able to cope with things that are beyond their control because this, this is beyond our control. And it's just a really – I think it magnifies the uh, need to have close relationships with folks, to have faith, have a faith. Uh, I mean, all those things really are so significant uh, in our well-being in our our ability to cope with grief. There's some basic factors that every one of us on the planet really need.
1: That's a good point because Steve and I have talked about this, and I'll swing it to Steve in a second. You know, Steve and I became friends because after Matt passed July 22nd, 2018, we knew we needed help. So my wife, Debbie, went on the Internet and just started grief- Support group, Grief Help, and Grief Share popped up. And Debbie goes, I don't know what this is, but it's starting next week. So I said, If it's starting next week, sign up. Either we like it or we don't. And we met Steve and Shelley. And when Steve started, he said that it was really interesting. I've told the story many times. He said, How many people here have taken courses on grief? Raise your hand. And of course, everybody was there was like looking like, I haven't taken a course on grief. Why in the world would I ever take a course on grief? And obviously, Steve knew the answer because nobody's going to take a course on grief until you're in grief and you need it. You want to avoid it because who wants to grieve? But it's just something that's going to happen. And so Steve and I have talked so much about how important it is to have a support group. You know, in the Jewish religion— when somebody passes away, you just what's called sitting shiva. You you stay at home, your loved ones, your relatives, your friends come over, they take care of you. So all you really need to do is go through the grief process, but it's done as a community. Yes. And now that's the antithesis of social distancing. That's the antithesis of everything we're supposed to do with the viruses. You know, Steve and I have talked about this so how much grief is in such a different place probably in the first time in a hundred years since the 1918 pandemic, because you need people, you need togetherness, you need hugs, you want to kiss people, and now you can't. And that to me is such a conundrum. You know, we're talking about grief and how, what words would you give to somebody going through that saying, you know, how do you deal with that? basic human need generally and, and specifically when you're in grief for human contact, which we can't do now.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, the Zoom or FaceTime calls are, you get some semblance of community. It's better than, better than a phone call for sure. Um, but I don't think there's any substitute for looking across the table and Uh, seeing somebody and I mean that's the human experience I'm really looking forward to returning to those days where we can
0: we can do that amen to that when we got on the call earlier today that's the first thing that I wanted to do was to reach out and to give you a hug so I wanted to thank you for coming on today and sharing your thoughts and your story I understand you've got a book you've been working on You have one coming out shortly, and I wanted to see if you wanted to give us an update. People may want to uh, know about the book.
2: Yes. um, Well, this one is on uh, one of the areas not only dealing with money but but life, and it's on honesty. And there's over 450 verses in the New and Old Testament um, that deal with honesty and the reason, the basic reason that God wants us to be honest uh, is that it impacts our relationship with him. The second reason is, obviously, it impacts people. And he really is interested in us being honest. There's an interesting verse, uh, Marshall, it's in Jeremiah 5.1. The Lord's speaking and he says you know go up and down the streets of Jerusalem uh, look in her squares uh, if you can find one person who deals honestly I will forgive this city yeah. and uh, you know Jeremiah he was yeah. he was uh, telling them that if they didn't if they don't shape up the Babylonians are going to come in and wipe out Jerusalem mm-hmm. and uh, basically he was looking for one honest person so my my challenge at the end of the book is um, he's still looking for that one completely honest person you know are you the one for your community your family um, so that's the that's the thrust of the of the book and I will say this you know the, the Lord um, in my experience uh, when I'm writing a book, he wants to change me you know, before he changes anybody else. And so this has been a great journey for me to um, focus on honesty in my
0: own life. Interesting. I'm looking forward to reading it when it comes out. So we'd like to thank you again for joining us today and coming on and sharing your story and talking about the experiences that you've had. We can't say enough and I miss our walks.
2: Same here, Steve. Well, I appreciate so much the invitation to be with you and Marshall. God bless you
1: guys. Well, thank you very much, Howard. Howard, thank you so much. I really uh, heard so much about you through Steve, and I'm glad I got the chance to virtually meet you, and I hope I will get a chance to hug you also. I'll I'll take a hug when when, when we can do that. We got a date.
0: Okay. God bless you. You
1: guys have a good day. Stay well. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Steve, I just want to give you some of, some of my observations about this very interesting conversation we had with uh, Howard today in the sense that I had not, did not have the pleasure of knowing him as well as you did, and when I did my research and saw that he was very involved with the concept of finishing well, given his background in financial Education. I thought it was really a monetary lesson that people can learn from a financial standpoint. And after spending the time talking to him today, I realized that it is a life decision that really deals with life choices that we all have to make on our timeline, dealing with grief, dealing with our loved ones. And how do we make a tribute to those that we've lost forward? And that, to me, was the takeaway from his concept of finishing well. So I really think it's been something that was different than I thought it was. And I think it's a great message. I really do.
0: Yes, I I agree. It is an awesome message. It actually gives me hope on where I can finish and As much as I've wanted to carry on Jordan's work, I think I was right. It is all about finishing well, and it means every aspect of your life, just not the financial side of it. He's been a good friend for me the last seven or eight years, even before Jordan passed. We walked and talked a lot of mornings when I was out for my run. He helped me through the early times after Jordan's passing. I had a chance to return the favor as he was uh, helping Bev. I knew it wasn't just the financial aspect, but he was pretty clear earlier today as we went through the different uh, portions that there's a lot of different aspects to look at for finishing well. And I actually take it as a uh, challenge to what's it mean for you? Because everybody's on their own journey and we're not sure when that day comes or how long we have to achieve it, but he's helping others finish well. And I really enjoyed having him on. I've missed uh, talking with him.
1: Very interesting guy. And I do look forward to taking a walk with him and you when we can all do it together and I'd give him a hug then.
0: Awesome. Me too. Thanks everybody for joining today and uh, listening to Marshall and I have a conversation with
1: Howard Dayton hope everybody has a good day and talk to you soon
0: thank you for joining us on hope through grief with your co-hosts Marshall Adler and Steve Smelsky
1: we hope our episode today was helpful and informative since we are not medical or mental health professionals we cannot and will not provide any medical, psychological, or mental health advice. Therefore, if you or anyone you know requires medical or mental health treatment, please contact a medical or mental health professional immediately.